Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the Win Without Competing Show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, Career Coach One and author of Win Without Competing. Now, here's Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. In tough economic times, it is especially important to implement my right fit method, which will enable you to win without competing in your career and in your life. I carefully select my guests who serve as powerful users of my right fit method. A key component of that method is passion, our career fuel, the impetus and foundation of career success. My guest today, Billy Lowe, is soaked in passion. But passion is not enough. Billy and my other guests know how to harness their passion. They excel in managing the process and walking down the right fit road to reach their goals. They know how to recognize right fits. They know how to recognize wrong fits. They know whether they can fix or not fix a wrong fit. They know when to walk away. They assume responsibility for their successes and failures. They say to themselves, It's all up to me. Throughout my own career as a medical school dean to heading a $60 million education program at the National Institutes of Health and as the founder and CEO of Barrow Global Search, Inc., I have observed that figuring out right fits is extremely difficult for many people to do. As a result, they continue taking the wrong fit road and wonder why they are in wrong marriages, wrong careers, or wrong homes. The solution is simple. Stop asking who is the best or what is the best. Stop comparing and contrasting. If all your choices are wrong and you pick one, which you designate as the best, you made a wrong choice. Picture a barrel of rotten apples. Grab one. What do you have? A rotten apple. To learn more about my Right Fit Method, continue listening to today's show, and after the show, visit winwithoutcompeting.com to read excerpts from my book. On to my guest today, Billy Lowe, celebrity hairstylist and beauty expert who has worked for the hottest names in Hollywood on and off the red carpet, including Ellen DeGeneres, Deborah Messing, Lance Bass, Carson Kresley, Gloria DeHaven, and the cast of Desperate Housewives, just to name a few. Lowe has also been featured in hundreds of magazine and news articles around the world on beauty-related topics, including Cosmo Girl, Parenting, Entrepreneur, Self Magazine, and countless other publications. He has appeared on TLC's 10 Years Younger, MTV's Made, Extreme Makeover, and many other exciting programs, and proudly launched his own luxury hairline, hair care line in May of 2009. During today's show, I will uncover why Lowe, a classically trained pianist, passionately pursues bangs and brows. Welcome to Win Without Competing, Billy. I'm Dr. Arlene. Thank you so much for having me today. You grew up in Macon, Georgia, the oldest of nine children. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about your family And what did you learn from your mother? (laughs) It was definitely a crowded house. Uh, You know, holidays were always a great deal of excitement. 
my parents have each been married, you know, a, a couple of times, and there are kids by every arrangement. And uh, but six of us kids grew up with my father and and uh, his wife now, and uh, you know, it was always a house full. There was always uh, so much love in the room and so much excitement and uh, you know, a constant busyness uh, day in and day out. And um, you know, I, I think one of the greatest things that I took away just from being um, from a large family was, was being the caretaker, being a provider, wanting to make sure that you know, everyone had food on the table or lights out at 9 o'clock or whatever it was. Being the oldest, you really do grab a lot of those caretaker um, instincts, if you will, um, around the house. So that's, that's one of the greatest things and opportunities that I think I took away from being from such a large family. Well, how did your mother manage? I mean, what, I mean she was obviously a role model, Mm-hmm. Uh, what did she teach you? Well, you know, I, I sort of um, I, I learned a little bit from from each set of parents that I lived with, if you will, uh, because there were you know a couple of marriages through the years, uh, both my mother and my father. I, I grew up mostly with my dad, um, but lived with you know my mother. I spent some summers with mother and some school years with my mom as well, and and I really learned a lot from both of them. Um, you know, the, the importance of giving and the importance of nurturing and the importance of, I think, family first was, was what was important to both my mom and my dad. And uh, I think that's one of the greatest takeaways that I, that I have from, from both of them. Traditional little boys don't do hair, especially <laughs> in the South. Right. They play cowboys and Indians, build mm-hmm. tree houses, and play with firecrackers and bottle rockets. You did not make, as a child, the erroneous assumption that you had to be a traditional little southern boy. Mm-hmm. Instead, you followed your passion. What was it that created a need in you to do hair, and how did your grandmother nurture that need? Uh, that's a really good question, because I, as you and I had spoken, you know, I did spend quite a few, uh, quite a long, a long time with my grandmother, like during summers especially, and she was a very important role model in my life growing up. Um, and, you know, growing up, I, I never really felt like I fit in. I had cousins and brothers that played football and, you know, built tree houses and that sort of thing, and, and I never, that was never what I wanted to do. But as you know, as labels go, if, if you don't fit in, you just don't fit in. And, and I never, I just seemed to never fit in, but honestly, I didn't really, I didn't let that bother me. Um, as we were coming up, we spent a lot of summertime with my grandmother, and Wednesdays were her shopping days at the supermarket. And um, all the grandkids would, would go with her, and, and if we were well-behaved, we could pick out one, you know, treat at the end of the shopping day, whether it was, you know, bubbles or coloring books or whatever. And I came around the corner one day with a little pack of dolls, and the dolls had hair and brushes and combs, and you know, I kind of held it up to my grandmother, and I said, this is what I want today. And uh, she didn't quite know what to do because she didn't want me to be in trouble with my parents, and, and she didn't want to be in trouble either. So she put the dolls in the cart, and she kind of knelt down beside me, and she said, now don't you tell your folks, and we'll just leave these at my house. So that was sort of the beginning. It was. I mean, how (laughs) sweet that she appreciated that you were different and that she should help you rather than hinder you. Right, right. It was a really special moment. Yes. Let me ask you, is that your mother's mother or your dad's mother? That's dad's mom. We, you know, I, I grew up mostly with my dad and, and his side of the family, and then again, you know, spent time with, with my mom, sort of summers and some school years and that sort of thing. Um, she lived in, overseas, she actually was married to um, a, a very nice military gentleman, and they lived overseas for a number of years in Germany. And so as they were overseas, you know, my brother and I stayed here in the States and grew up with, with dad. Would you say that the kind of family background that you have has helped you or taught you to be flexible? It's, you know, growing up in such a large family, you, you definitely do have to, to practice and, and learn flexibility and, and really the art of sharing. One thing that was really important for my family was that, you know, if any of the kids ever brought anything home, like, you know, candy or, you know, something from school, we always had to be prepared to share it with the other children. So, you know, I remember coming home one day, and and I think I'd earned a little bit of an allowance, and I went right to the store and bought 
all the bubble gum that a little boy could possibly imagine having. And I, I brought it home, and I, I took it to my bedroom and, and hid it under the pillow. And I think my dad found out about it, and he said, take it out and divide it amongst the kids. So it, flexibility and sharing is definitely you know, really important growing up in a big household. I also think that was a wonderful lesson. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on creativity at UCLA. Mm-hmm. For a man to be creative, he must have attributes and interests that are considered feminine so that it's not surprising that you were interested in hair, stuffed animals, and baby dolls. <laughs> Think about Michael Jackson. He was highly creative with strong feminine attributes and interests, notably the nurturing of children and animals. Mm-hmm. So I think that if parents understood that if their little boys showed feminine characteristics and that this might be an indication of creativity, perhaps they would encourage it. What do you think, Billy? I agree. And, and not only that, Dr. Arlene, but, but to take it a step further, a caretaking um, ability I think is really important. And, and that creativity, you know, if it's, if it's stifled, then, then you're, I, I think what, what you're teaching someone is it's not safe to be creative, nor is it safe to be a caretaker. And if those, because those two things were happening simultaneously in my world, not just the creativity, but the caretaking. And I felt, you know, growing up as a little boy and watching my other cousins play football and basketball and this sort of thing, I felt a little bit stifled and smothered because I, I didn't want anyone to know that I wanted to style people's hair. And, and so I think what I, what I felt inside was that, you know, it, it's, it's not safe to be creative. And because of the, the career path or the journey that I felt that I was on, you know, leading myself into the beauty industry, I think I felt a little bit stifled in caretaking as well. Um, so those two, it's interesting that, that you brought that up, that those two things were happening simultaneously in my life, even, even as a young child. Well, how did you pursue your interest as a non-traditional Southern boy? How did you begin or develop further your interest in hair in other words that little kit that your grandmother brought you was bought you was that the beginning it really was the beginning and and you know it represented so much more than just me playing with dolls or me styling hair you know the the little dolls that she bought me really represented a dream it's like and whenever I speak I speak about this all the time you know as you are going down the aisle of the grocery store and, and there are all those things on the shelf that you want they don't just represent things, they represent your dreams. And I just, I remember bravely reaching up, grabbing the little dolls off the shelf and handing them to my grandmother. And, and I, it's not that I was handing her a set of dolls, I was handing her my dreams. And, and she gave me my dreams and she said, we're gonna do this. Um, it, it wasn't until years later that I went into the beauty industry, but, but I, I felt still the need to nurture a creative inside of me, so I started training in classical piano performance. I took piano lessons, began when I was about eight or nine, and um, studied for many, many years. And that was sort of the beginning of at least some creative outlets for me that were safe. I want to pursue that further. What motivated you to turn to piano? Is it because it was a safe, accepted thing to do? That, that actually is very, uh, a very good thing to say because I, I did feel safe. Um, you know, it, it brought about recognition. It brought about you know, praise and trust, and I felt safe doing it. Um, and, and for me, it, it was you know, many trophies on the shelf, many ribbons on the wall. And, and I recognized through time that, that I was safe doing this. I grew up in church, so I, I've played piano for our churches you know, as a kid for as long as I can remember. Um, and, it, and it did represent something that was safe, a creative outlet, and, and I could still, at least to some degree, express myself. Well, with the little dolls, did you fix their hair? What did you do? Oh, I had them ready to go to church every morning. 
<laughs> oh, you, you yes. gave them a makeover entirely then. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and those those were some great days, and and still, uh, you know, I, I still don't think I ever told my parents that Grandma bought me those. So, so if they're listening, they're they're finding out now. Well, that's all right. I think that's <laughs> terrific. Well, they're they're wonderful, and and they love me even more today for it. So all is well. Why was hairstylist the right fit profession for you? and classical pianist the wrong fit. Hmm. In my world of win without competing and the right fit method, I always visualize a blueprint of right fits. I have blueprints for everything, Billy, mm-hmm. from the kind of plant I'm going to buy to my own career uh, to what kind of car I should buy. I, my head is filled with these blueprints. What was the blueprint that you had in mind that enabled you to select what clearly has been the right fit profession? Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, growing up, I, I never felt confident and, and um, you know, as labels go, I, I never... Um, was confident or passionate that I was inherently a good person or whatever. I felt like I was doing things for other people's approval, for other people's nods, and again for another trophy on the shelf. And that's what piano gave me. Um, and, and I think my biggest fear was as a child or even as a teenager when I could go into beauty uh, and take classes, I think I was afraid of the labels that might not fit and that other people may not understand. And so I chose to safely, back then, stay within the labels and, and the ranks, I guess, of things that people did understand. Um, I, I was never that confident within myself. I never had um, you know, just that step-up personality, really, even though it appeared that I did. I was never really that self-confident. And I thought, if there's something I can do, I, I want to help other people not have to feel this way, you know, that, that everyone deserves to feel their very best every day and and piano didn't necessarily do that for me but but the world of beauty did and it does so it's because how the world of beauty made you feel that you believe was the deciding factor absolutely because it, it, even now dr arlene whenever you know whenever you finish someone's hair or you finish a makeover or you know, the, the makeover shows that I'm on, it's that split second when you turn them around and, and they see themselves in the mirror and there's that, you know, 4th of July expression on their face that, wow, this is really me. I can really, you know, I'm pretty. Look at this. You know, look at me. I feel great. Um, it's that moment that is just so wonderful that you get to share with someone else and, and help them feel great about themselves. And that, I think, is really special. And you still have that feeling every time you do a makeover or hair without the makeover, Billy? Would you say that that's a constant feeling that you experience? It, you know, Dr. Arlene, it just gets better and better every day, um, especially when you know tourists will come in or they've seen a show that I've done or I get to meet someone new or share a beauty tip or something. It really, really does. When, when you're so passionate about something, it only gets better every single day. As you were growing up, did you visualize that you would become an entrepreneur, and did you practice entrepreneurship as you were growing up? <laughs> um, well, if I could only tell you how many candy bars I've sold in my lifetime, I, we would probably have uh, we'd be sitting here a long time. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> you know, okay. Let's let's hear the whole story, Billy. It sounds very interesting. I love how it. Did you, you know, how did you decide to sell candy bars, and who yeah. were your who was your clientele? Absolutely. There, there, I always seem to be involved in some fundraiser or some class raising money or, or something, you know, uh, raising money for the yearbook staff or raising money for a church function. And we would often sell, you know, candy bars or M&Ms, and we would literally go door to door. Uh, we had, you know, chaperones that would, you know, drop us off at the end of one block, and the kids would go door to door, and then the chaperones would just park at the end of the block, and they'd pick us up, and we would, you know, take another block. We would literally go door to door and selling these candy bars as fundraisers for whatever project it was that we were working on, and uh, that's sort of what um, what started my my entrepreneur spirit, I think. 
so that you enjoyed selling is what you're saying. Am I correct? I did. It was easy for me, you know, and, and it was easy to walk up to someone that I, that I didn't necessarily know and convince them that we had something that was worthy of, of buying and, and uh, you know, something worthy of their support. Would you say that you were a number one salesperson? I, I think so. Um, you know, it, it's, it's so funny because I remember thinking if we had to sell, you know, 100 candy bars or whatever it was, I wanted to sell 150, you know, because it, it's, I recognized that not everyone can pull the same weight load. And, and uh, I, I think I always, I always wanted to go beyond what, whatever the benchmark was. Well, I think that's terrific because basically what you were doing was setting the standard higher and higher and higher, raising the bar for yourself. Right, right. I do want to talk a bit about that later. Uh, let's probe the high school mm-hmm. time in your life, and how did that contribute, either positively or negatively, to your career as a hairstylist? There was, you know, there's one memory that I always reflect back on, and, and I had a, a dear friend in high school. I remember I was 16. This was my junior year of high school. And let's just say her name was, uh, let's say her name was Lisa. And Lisa had a job in the mall as a hairstylist, and I thought, this is someone that I would like to watch just to see what they do. And so on Sundays, I remember going to the mall with Lisa and just sort of sitting in her, in her salon and watching her work. And... Uh, the interesting thing was, on our way to the mall, she would often stop for gas, and, and she barely had enough money for 3 or $4 of gas and maybe a pack of cigarettes. And I thought, you know, here's someone that's really creative, that's doing what they want to do, but they, you know, she, she barely has money for gas in the car. And I thought, I, I don't want to live like this. There has, to be, there has to be more. And I didn't recognize it then, Dr. Arlene, but I, I do now, that the importance of a good mentor and someone that, that we can shadow really does make all the difference in the world in the directions that we take and where we end up. So you still were interested in hair, but you didn't see yourself taking her route, so to speak. Am I correct? Exactly, yeah, because I, I knew that if, if this was the journey that she was on, it, she seemed to, to struggle occasionally and, and maybe not have enough money or, or whatever. And I just, I think I grew a, a little fearful of, of this career path because of that. Did that influence you in terms of pursuing a bachelor's in education? That was actually one of the biggest influencers because, you know, being 16 and you're in high school and a college decision is only a year away, um, I knew that, that I didn't really have a lot of time to waste. So I went right away to college after my senior year. And, uh, and went to a wonderful school in Kentucky, Asbury College. And um, there I actually started as a piano performance major but ended up with a degree in education. Um, but, but it was a, a big influence, you know, um, just feeling the need to, to get involved in something different, I think. What did you do after college? Well, it kind of begins with during my college career, I was offered a part-time job in a little optical shop in Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, that gave me a little spending money on the side. And uh, it was sort of an interesting segue into, you know, a, a bit of fashion, helping people select, you know, glasses that they were comfortable with or that looked good on them or uh, that sort of thing. And so right after college, I continued working in the optical industry for, you know, another year or two. Where did the hairstyling enter at this uh, point? Pretty much, pretty much right away. Um, you know, I, I did some studying in, in Atlanta, and you know, I moved to Los Angeles in 1998. And you know, with the transition to California, you know, there are different hour requirements, and so I, I took on you know more hours here for the state of California. And uh, that's you know, beauty started right right away. And I know while you were waiting for your California licensure to be approved, mm-hmm. you played piano. Mm-hmm. You it, also, I understand, had some exciting adventures as a marketing coordinator. Yes. Uh, I was actually working in hair at the time, and uh, one of the major skincare lines that, that we know of um, had an opening, and they found out about my 
that I had a degree in education as well as a beauty background, and that partnership was really, really exciting to them, um, a beauty and education background. And I became a marketing coordinator and educator for two leading skincare lines, actually, um, which kind of pulled me away from hair for a while, but it really taught me a lot about, you know, it, it sort of furthered that entrepreneur spirit inside of me because it taught me a lot of the marketing and the sales and, you know, numbers tracking and things that I may not have otherwise known. It was a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, step for me to, to take that. When you started working in Los Angeles as a hairstylist, you initially uh, began at a salon. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to open your own studio? In other words, you were an employee rather than an entrepreneur. What motivated you to pursue entrepreneurship early on in your career? Yeah, I, I think what I recognized, Dr. Arlene, was you know, I was at a, a really posh salon on Rodeo Drive, actually a couple of different salons in the Beverly Hills area early on. And I think what I recognized was that people in the salon were really looking for deeper relationships. In the traditional or larger salon setting, you know, you're, you're met and you're greeted by so many different people before you even get to say hello to your hairstylist. You know, someone checks you in at the door, there's you know, a beverage service person, someone else checks your coat, uh, the shampoo person. So there, were, there are just so many people that are involved in a larger or traditional salon setting. I knew that I wanted more one-on-one time and attention with my clients, and, and providing that in a smaller boutique studio setting was the only way I was going to be able to do that. Oh, so in order to, again, match the blueprint of the right fit, right. you knew you needed to have your own studio. That's right. I know that you entered the world of celebrity clients in an interesting way. Tell us about that, Billy. Yeah, this was, it's a really exciting time, and this is when, when things started you know, exploding for me, if you will, because I, I didn't recognize what I was doing then, but I have several friends in television and media and you know, charity organizations, and a lot of times they would ask me to donate hair or makeup services for you know, the green rooms or the, or the celebrities backstage before they went on stage if they needed makeup touch-ups or you know, hair touch-ups or if they needed hair styling done for the occasion. And I was simply donating my time just for further experience and, and a greater resume opportunity. And I sort of became known as, you know, the guy backstage that does hair and makeup and, uh, and you know, the Billy Lowe hair and makeup team. And, and people started expecting that I would be backstage every year at, at their charity events. And one thing led to another, and I, you know, a little bit later I received a, a telephone call from, you know, a talk show host, and I was doing her hair for season three of her show. So it was a really, really great opportunity that I was, you know, donating that time. Ian Drew wrote, Billy Lowe is at the top of his profession, and it's clear why. He knows his stuff from bangs to brows and has the A-list clientele to prove it. Tell us about what Ian Drew wrote about you, Billy. And oh, where it appeared. He's a great guy. He's with Us Weekly magazine, uh, and, and Us Weekly has been really, really good to me. They call me quite a bit, well, you know, and a number of magazines call me quite a bit for beauty tips or hair tips or current fashion and style trends. And it's always an honor to, to open the pages of a magazine and see your name printed for you know, a current beauty tip or trend or something. And I've contributed to Us Weekly on a number of occasions in different you know, beauty tips and techniques and quick how-tos and that sort of thing. So, so that's what that was about with Us Weekly, and he's, he's such a great guy for, for the quote. Give us, the listeners and me, some beauty tips that perhaps have not been publicly acclaimed as yet. Mm-hmm. So you, you want it right from the Billy Lowe shelf. Absolutely. Absolutely. We <laughs> right. don't want secondhand stuff, Billy. I love it. You know, I think one of the biggest things that, that I try to do with my clients is so many beauty professionals get caught up in, you know, you have this face shape, so you have to have this hairstyle. And, and I think that's not always the case. Um, you know, I can give everyone the perfect layered bob or the perfect you know, asymmetrical cut that comes and sits down, but... But if it doesn't match their lifestyle, 
they're not going to be able to, to recreate the look at home. They're going to be, be frustrated by the look, and they'll end up just letting it go and not taking care of it. So they'll be disappointed with the stylist. They'll be disappointed with their own cut, and, and they'll never go back to the stylist. So what I want to focus on is a person's lifestyle. How much time does she or he have in the morning? Um, you know, are they a mother of three children, or are they a working professional? Um, which styling products or tools are they comfortable working with and using? And if I can tap into those sort of lifestyle approaches, then I can give a great cut and style or a color that's going to work for them that they're going to take care of. Billy, um, I think you should be coaching physicians who sometimes <laughs> give their patients routines to do where the patients cannot do them because they don't have the time in the day to do them. That's right. Yeah, so what you're trying to do is understand your clients so that you give them the right fit hairstyle. That's right. That leads me further into the pride you have in your relationship building with your clients. I know that prior to the show, you told me that when you meet a client, you spend time talking learning about the client, because I know that I had asked you, what do you do with dissatisfied clients? And then you told me that the procedure that you use apparently creates satisfied clients and prevents dissatisfied clients. Can you pretend that I'm a client visiting you for the first time in the salon? What questions would you ask me? Well, Dr. Arlene, thank you so much for visiting the studio today. We're very glad you're here. And, and tell me a little bit about your hair and your morning routine, if you will. All right, Billy. My hair is red, an unusual red, with blonde highlights. And my hair actually stays quite well. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do much to it. After the shower... I just run my hair, hands through it, and it's together. Perfect. Yes, I don't have a lot to do with it, so that's important. What I do have, however, is some breakage Mm -hmm. in terms of the highlights, Mm -hmm. and you and I had discussed that. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, I did find out about the volume of peroxide. You had told me, I believe, that... The peroxide should be 10, is that correct? Right, right. Okay. The length of time. And what did you find out? Well, you will not be surprised, I expect, to find out that 20 is the volume that's being used on my hair. Sure, sure. Well, Dr. Arlene, I know you're here for your consultation today, so what we're going to do, I'm going to pull out a couple of color swatches. Let's pull out a couple of photos so that we can be sure that we're seeing the same thing and speaking the same language. And we'll create a wonderful look that you're going to love today. So now at the same time as the consultation, you then go into the next step of actually doing it, right, Billy? Exactly. And I think it's really important that that a hairstylist does spend that time to listen to the client, tap into their lifestyle, and and really create some wonderful visual for them too. Because so many times, you know, especially in you know, a New York or Beverly Hills market, you've got the stylist that walks up and says, I'm the artist, here's what we're doing. And again, if it doesn't match, to your point, the blueprint of the person's lifestyle, then it's not creating a win for the client and they don't feel like they're being listened to. It's, it's, it's sort of erasing that relationship piece. And, and if I can bring to the table that relationship piece, tap into their lifestyle and create some visual for them, then I, I think they're going to be a really satisfied client in the end. It's interesting. reminds me when I was living in the Washington, D.C. area. I used to go to a stylist at Saks Fifth Avenue, mm-hmm. and he said to me, don't worry, I'm in charge, it'll be fine. I said, well, Mr. Bernard, look what? at the top of my hair. Mm. It's now as orange as a carrot. Would you say that that's how I should be leaving the salon? Right. <laughs> so I hope you've never had such an experience, right, Billy? Never. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, you, no, I'm teasing you because I know that you're very precise <laughs> with everything. Well, thank but you. the more that somebody says that to me, that they want to take charge, I then become a little uncomfortable because I'm wondering whether 
they really know exactly what they're doing. Yes, they should manage the process, but at the same time, I do think they need to be watchful. Mm -hmm. And, And be good listeners. You know, because when you have a person that says, I'm in charge, what they're telling you is, I'm not listening. That's an excellent point. Yeah, and your blueprint is not important to me. I'm in charge, I'm not listening, and I don't care about your blueprint. About how much time would you say when you have a new client do you spend to really figure out what would work for your client? You know, with every new client that calls in, and most of the people that do call me, it's, it's by referrals. And so people have either seen my work, they know my work, or they've heard about what I do here. I spend a good 10 or 15 minutes on the phone with a lot of people if they have questions before they even come in. And then once they come in, there's still another 10 or 15 minutes of me really just listening to them um, and giving them that chair time before I even have anything to say. And, and what I've discovered over the years is that people will sit in the chair and they'll touch a certain part of their hair over and over. And normally when they're, when they're chatting about their hair and I'm looking at them, the first place they touch or the place they touch the most in their hair is where they have the greatest concern. So I really like to bring that out. I notice that you're, you know, that you're fidgeting with your bangs a little bit or that you're touching you know, the crown area. Is this, a, is this a concern area for you? So it's really watching and listening uh, to the client and, and paying attention to their needs. Excellent. You compete with yourself, not against others. You see yourself as setting the standard. What is Billy Lowe's brand? My brand is, you know, I believe everyone deserves that, you know, walking through that door of I feel great about myself, you know, walking into that room of I feel great about myself and celebrating themselves. That's what my brand is all about. Um, you know, I don't, I don't strive to compete with other stylists here in Los Angeles. There are so many, and, and I would be too busy, um, you know, policing what they were doing rather than me focusing on being better than myself each and every day. And, and if every day when I turn the lights on here in the studio, as long as I can focus on I want to be better than yesterday and, and I want every day to be better than, than, you know, than the day before, that's really, I'm very excited that I'm not competing with other people. Tell us about the Olympics. I know that you told me that you're going to be going. What are you going to be doing at the Olympics? Well, I, I represent several beauty brands uh, as a public speaker, and um, I'm hosting a beauty lounge in Austin, Texas coming up. And this particular brand may be sponsoring either an Olympic team or an Olympic athlete, and it might open the door of uh, my being able to go and participate in the Winter Olympics in January to do makeovers either for a team or an athlete, which is very, very exciting. I've never been to Vancouver, and uh, I suppose I should take some, some gloves and scarves. What do you think? I definitely think so. <laughs> I've been to Vancouver. You could freeze to death. Okay, great. Yeah. In May, you launched a hair care line consisting of 11 products. Mm-hmm. Why did you create the line, and how involved were you personally? Um, you know, it's something that, that I've been thinking about for many years, and in May it, it was such a wonderful birthday present for myself because it just happened all at the right time. And uh, I had several brands approach me, you know, because of the shows that I've been on and some colleagues that I have in the beauty industry. And um, several of the well-known names that have their own hair care line right now in Beverly Hills their manufacturers approached me about doing my line. So I went and had meetings and sat for hours and tested products and smelled fragrances. I just simply wasn't committed to the quality of products that were, that were being given. And um, another company um, approached me a little bit later uh, in the year, and um, we sat down. They actually flew their director of sales here to meet with me in my studio, which was really exciting because they're based out of Connecticut. And uh, so we chatted for a very long time, and within a couple of weeks, I was you know, sampling more products and looking at packaging, and it, it was a very, very involved, very lengthy process, and, but it's something that I'm really, really excited you know, that I've done. It's, it's an amazing line. It's truly a luxury line, and um, you know, it's, it's red carpet results, not just here in the studio, but when clients take it home. So it's available at your studio then, Billy? 
It is available at the studio, and also people can go online to billylow.com, and there's a product description page. Um, they can place their phone orders just by calling into the studio here. We can ship direct uh, to them. And we've also got several hotels that are looking at carrying the line, um, which is a really, really exciting opportunity. Can you also share your studio phone number? Because I know our listeners will be excited after listening to the interview. <laughs> sure. Thanks so much. The studio number is 323-654-2819. And again, that information can all be found at billylow.com. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about, I like the ingredients. I noticed it says all products contain Asian sugar. Right. And then you have soy protein and silk extracts. Tell us a little more so we can visualize how beautiful we'll be looking. And would these products uh, be appropriate for men as well? Absolutely. The, you know, the, the products are great for all hair types. They're even safe for color-treated hair. Um, and Dr. Arlene, we talked about you having color, so we'll be sure you get some samples as well because I'd like for you to have some. Um, Asian sugar is it's that miracle ingredient that brings you know, dry, barren plants back to life after a rainfall. It really helps restore moisture balance from within, keeps hair nice and shiny. The soy proteins and silk extracts are great for solar protection, um, giving hair smooth, silky results. Um, and, and it's just an amazing, amazing product line, and hair has just truly never felt so luxuriously soft. Have you gotten some nice comments from the people who've started to use it, Billy? They love it. We, I actually had a client in last week, and uh, he purchased a gift bag for his girlfriend. And uh, he said, um, she told me to tell you that that's the very best shampoo she's ever used in her life. So I was really, really thrilled to hear that. I'm curious, is, uh, is there any alcohol in the products at all? Because a lot of the products are, very, uh, are filled with alcohol, and alcohol is very drying. It can be, but it, but it can also be very nourishing. And, and when we think of alcohol, we traditionally think of like rubbing alcohol on the bathroom shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, you know, alcohol has so many different sources. Some alcohols come from plants. Um, it comes in liquid form. It comes in powder form. And there's, there's so many um, different forms of alcohol, and it can actually be an okay thing to have in product because it does act as a stabilizer and a preservative many, in many cases. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, is it all organic? Oh, is it all natural? If it were 100% natural or 100% organic, it might have a shelf life of about one week or two. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I know the preservative issue is, is, a, is an issue. I mean, there's sure, no question. Sure. Um, unfortunately, in women's cosmetics, um, they're filled with parabens as preservatives. Sure you know, mm-hmm. methyl paraben and other kinds of, of parabens. And sure. they have found that women who have had breast cancer, that the tissue of these women are filled with these parabens. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's happened is that you find now that the large cosmetic manufacturers that are aware of this uh, have changed their products, notably mm-hmm. Origins. Right. They have totally uh, removed all of the parabens. It's cost them billions of dollars to reformulate. And I think it's very interesting that they did do that mm-hmm. because I predict over the long term that there will be some women suing because of getting breast cancer as a result of using parabens, you know, for 20 and 30 years. Right. And, you know, there's so many different things to consider, too. I mean, and, and it's important to look at, you know, diet and nutrition and exercise and your own personal wellness as well. And manufacturers are becoming a lot more savvy and a lot more hip to the fact that, you know, consumers are becoming more educated and becoming more savvy. And, and everyone that is in the manufacturing world is definitely taking a look at, you know, the fact that consumers are becoming a lot more educated and, and really addressing those issues. So I think that's a great point that you bring about, you know, that it's, it's not just one or two things. It's not just a hairspray or it's not just living in Los Angeles. It's a complete lifestyle, and there's so many different pieces to that puzzle. So I'm, I'm really glad that you bring that up. I can't wait to hear your future plans in terms of how you're going to be growing your business, Billy. Take us into your confidence and tell us what's coming up. 
I will. Well, obviously, I, I'm always juggling and balancing a reality show here and there. And uh, I have, I'm working currently with an amazing firm out of Canada. And they're interested in doing and creating a couple of shows together. So we have that in the works. Um, so a, a little more reality uh, shows that will be in the works. Um, more work here in the studio and obviously continued public speaking and, and working as a beauty advisor to different brands. And um, was in New York recently and coordinated a, a wonderful makeover for a lady who won a sweepstakes. And we just, it was a wonderful weekend. She so deserved it. And, and those are more of the things that I'll be doing and moving into in the near future. What about a beauty line? Should we, what, should we be watching for a cosmetics beauty line? We're, we're chewing on the idea. So with, with the launch of the Billy Lowe Hair Care brand, I think that would be the, na the next natural progression. Um, you know, working in baby steps, just because I want to keep the brands close to, to my heart and close to the studio, I, I never want them to end up in the wrong hands or in the wrong places or being used by people who, who may not understand how they work. So education, as you know, is extremely important to me. And, and before we release too much information or too many products into the marketplace, I just want to be sure that the right people are using them. Are there directions in terms of your products about uh, you know, who should be using it, who should not be using it? Is that necessary to have, do you think, on your uh, hair products? You know, with hair care, hair care is a little more basic. You know, when, when you start um, you know, getting into more specifics like color and that sort of thing, then I think you get a little more specific. But, but just having a, a, a very basic, very simple hair care line was my goal so that it was good for all hair types, uh, whether you, you know, have curly hair or whether you live in a, a more humid environment or a more dry and arid environment. I wanted to develop a line that was good for all hair types, all locations, and again, even safe for color-treated hair. And, and I think that's what we've done. Um, you know, there's something for everyone, and, uh, and I think everyone really has appreciated the line so far. Terrific. How do you find time for a personal life? You know, and, and this was something we chatted about, you know, before, and I really enjoyed our chat about that. My studio hours here are generally Wednesday through Saturday, 8 to 7, and, uh, and I take Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday off unless I'm traveling or working on a show. And, and I think the biggest thing for me is to really honor those, those days off because a lot of times, you know, I'll end up working on a computer or answering emails or returning phone calls on a day off, and, and I recognized over the years that in order for me to be my very best here in the studio or to be my very best on location if, if we're shooting a show, I, I really need to honor the days off and recharge so that I can be at my very best when I'm, when I'm on. So you figured out that you need those three days. Is that uh, how you see it, Billy? You know, I decided years ago, Dr. Arlene, I wanted a three-day weekend every weekend of my life, and, and I finally figured out a way to make it happen. So that's what I do. And that uh, you sound gloriously happy. It's, so it's exciting. perhaps you can give our listeners some suggestions because you seem to have the secret for balancing your professional and personal life. The thing is that if somebody works, let's say, at a corporation, and they may not have the flexibility as you do because you're an entrepreneur, what would an employee do? I mean, an entrepreneur can, if he or she wishes, do what you do. Right. But what does an employee do who may not have that flexibility? Right, and, and I think that's, that's a really good thing to bring out because I've got a lot of friends who are traditional Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 people, and, and, you know, they ask me, how do you do it? You know, what's your secret? And, and I think it is, you know, if you do have to clock out at 5 o'clock, clock out and go home. If you need a few minutes to decompress before you go home, you know, go take a walk by the beach or go for a little road, you know, go for a drive or something and, and just sort of decompress and clear your, clear your mind before you go home or before you head to another, you know, event for the evening. And then again on the weekends, really honor yourself, honor your family, give yourself that time, um, take time away from everything else, and, and allow yourself some what I call me time. And I think that's really important. Well, I know you're also involved in charities. I mean, when do you do that? Do you do your charitable work on those particular days? 
A lot of times that will be like a Sunday event. If it's a fundraiser or something, there's usually a big you know, dinner in the evening or something on a Sunday, or it might even be a Saturday evening. Um, sometimes those involve a little bit of work if I am doing hair or something backstage. Um, but if it's just a dinner that I'm attending or you know, uh, making an appearance or something, then, then those, you know, those are a lot of fun and sometimes end up not being as much work. So, but it is usually a day off. Well, Billy, I have to say that you are a win-without-competing man. <laughs> Thank you. You know your core identity. You are soaked in passion. You understand right fits. You compete with yourself and raise the standards against which you measure yourself. And you keep making those standards higher and higher and higher. And that's how you obviously are becoming a name brand. You manage the process to achieve your goals. You think outside the box. Thank you for joining me today. And will you promise to come back soon? Absolutely. It would be an honor. And I just want to say thank you for having me on your program today. I've enjoyed this time. It was a delight. Upcoming shows, please join me again next Wednesday, August 12th at 5 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. I will interview Dr. Roger Welton, veterinarian, author of Canine and Feline 101, and creator of WebDVM. On Wednesday, August 19th, Jack Fuhrer, frequently quoted expert on advertising and media issues, editorial director, UCLA Magazine. On Wednesday, September 2nd, Dr. Judith Reichman, expert on women's health issues, who appeared on the Today Show for more than a decade and author of four best-selling books. I would love to hear from you. Please email me, drbarro at winwithoutcompeting.com or call 310-441-5305. To learn more about the Right Fit Method, and my book, Win Without Competing, Career Success, The Right Fit Way, visit winwithoutcompeting.com. For information about career coaching, visit drbarro.com. And for search services, barrowglobal.com. Remember this trigger tip. Walk down the Right Fit Road and you will win without competing. Goodbye for now. This is Dr. Arlene, author, Win Without Competing, Career Coach One, founder and CEO, Barrow Global Search, Inc. <laughs>